Hello, everybody, and welcome to our seventh episode of The Social Balcony. Today, I'm with Megesa, and it's a bit weird for us both today to talk English with each other, because normally we would talk, of course, in our native language, German. <laughs> so bear with us yes. and the two German accents. And um, Gesa, you had a great idea for this episode, because you wanted to us to be a little bit more positive so yeah i mean by now probably you guys are used to us criticizing the the nordic image and the nordic countries being a good example and like um asking a bit is it really and uh, pointing out the negative sides maybe a lot <laughs> and uh, but we are also we always highlight that there's a lot of pos positive aspects in the nordic countries and today maybe we want to focus specifically on positive aspects and we have uh, picked three examples in Nordic countries of really positive sustainable development and like sustainable solutions and ideas and how we could actually create a more sustainable future for the places we live in. Uh, and so we picked uh, three examples today. We were going to start with Iceland, um, which is also a country that we haven't discussed yet. So it's like interesting to look at this country in general. And then also we're going to look at its uh, renewable energy and sustainable heating. Um, and then we're going to look into Bornholm, which is a Danish island and also very green island and like an example in many areas. And we're going to look into Lati, a city in Finland. Uh, it's a bit sad that Rosa can't be with us today because I'm sure she would have uh, some contributions and also she would probably correct uh, the pronunciation. So also bear with <laughs> us, Rosa, and all the Finnish listeners. But yeah, so today it's going to be a positive, more positive episode. And we're going to look at some cool solutions and maybe get inspired a little bit and hopeful. Yeah, so should we get right into it? Yes, I mean, I also got inspired, of course, by your idea. And I think it's a really good thing to maybe look into something a little bit more positive or yeah especially in these times I think um, we all need something a little bit more positive and something to be excited for in the future and I think that's also why I picked Iceland as an example for um, for this episode because Iceland actually has 100% renewable energy and 90% sustainable heating I think all over Europe at the moment we can we see these discussions about heating prices, spiking energy prices. Um, due to this idiot um, who decided to bombard a sovereign country. Um, so I think maybe it's something we will talk in the future a lot about how to transit to a sustainable and independent energy and heating source also in Europe. And yeah, I mean, Iceland already that yeah <laughs> yeah and i think it's it's great in two ways because on the one hand it's just good to have green and renewable energy it's good for the environment and also it's good not to be dependent on like big countries that have like a lot of power and use that power through their energy supply uh yeah so <laughs> it's really good to yeah. look at it <laughs> i mean we wanted to be positive in this episode but maybe as as a point to that i think knowing that our heating or like the prices we pay for our heating are also financing the war in the Ukraine mm -hmm. at the moment um, is something where we should look into renewable energy in this episode. <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah. 
Uh, so in Iceland, of course, their energy transition has also a lot to do with their geography and top topology. Uh, but I think nonetheless, we can learn a lot from it. So, mm -hmm. for example, for the heating, they use geothermal energy. Fancy word, right? Uh, yeah, it's a really fancy word. It's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I will go a little bit into it. So basically, I mean, we know Iceland is the country or the land of ice and fire. Um, <laughs> not the Game of Thrones uh, series, but uh, actually as a country, because they have a lot of volcanoes and a lot of water streams, etc. Because it lies on the Mid-Atlantic Ridge between North America and Eurasia, you know, tectonic pla mm -hmm. uh, plates which move a lot, <laughs> and that's why they have a lot of volcanoes. And uh, from that, they can also use the heating they can use the energy coming out of the ground. Uh, so geothermal energy is a type of renewable energy which is taken from the Earth's core. So it comes from heat generated during the original formation of the planet. Basically means, wow. of course, the core of the Earth is warmer. So hmm. we pump water into the Earth. Then it heats up naturally because mm -hmm. there's heat anyway. So then it comes up again. And with that, we heat our our houses for example so now we we also heat it with water of course but normally it's because we burn mm. gas or some things so if we don't have to burn the gas then but we use the already existing heat in the earth mm. uh, it's also something for example in germany we discussed that a lot but there it's a little bit more difficult because we are not that close to the heat inside the planet mm. um, but in iceland it's easier to do also because a lot of times, I think we all know these like warm water sources or like volcanoes with really hot water where you can even take a bath in, in the winter. And mm -hmm. that's what they have a lot. So they sometimes even have already the warmed water. They don't need to pump it into the earth and stuff. Um, so it sounds difficult, but it's actually something which was already used for centuries um, around the world, but usually, like I said, for bathing and stuff. Yeah, but also like... It sounds like the term sounds very difficult and also, also the idea of pumping water somewhere and taking it out again. But it makes so much sense to just use the earth because it's, you know, it's right there. It's very natural. It's kind of cool that, yeah, you can use the heat of the earth itself for your own heating. Yeah. Yeah, and exactly. And like I said, it was already used for centuries. So it's, it's not a super new technology. Um Oh, yeah, and then another important point for it is also that they nowadays have district heating. So all houses are connected to the same heating systems. Uh, I mean, in Sweden, we have that, at, for example, also in, in the bigger cities. And that saves also a lot of energy. So not each house has their different heating system, one on gas, one on oil, one on wood pellets, <laughs> whatever uh, there is. But it's all connected, so they all have the similar system. And then, of course... Um, They use that for heating, but then they also have 100% renewable energy nowadays. Mm. They also use the geothermal power plants to use the steam to produce electricity sometimes. So okay. the steam comes from reservoirs of, a hot water, uh, of hot water, and then that steam rotates a turbine and that generates energy, kind of like a small dynamo at a bike but way bigger mm -hmm. but they also have of course <laughs> a lot of wind power uh, hydropower uh, and all of that because it's just surrounded by seas mm. and has a lot yeah. of streams as i already discussed um 
So huge potential there. And that's also why I was like, yeah, of course. And they probably always used that. <laughs> and they were never really dependent on oil. But that was actually not the case. So in the early 1970s, uh, the largest share of the country's energy consumption was derived from fossil fuels. Wow. So they were hugely dependent on it. Hmm. Um, guess a similar, similar thing as was also going on in Europe and all. Hmm. Uh, but I think a little bit thanks to their remote location for them, oil prices were always more expensive as far as hmm. <laughs> I mean you wouldn't build Nord Stream 2 to a country which only has 300,000 uh, citizens but uh, that that would just not be functional financially so they yeah. always shipped it there and then you know we had this huge oil crisis in the 70s as well uh, hmm. where just the oil prices exploded and so Iceland was like we need to do something hmm. And this whole change started by some entrepreneurs uh, and then more and more municipality, uh, municipalities also <laughs> participated in the change because they realized we actually have this potential here. Why not use it? Uh, <laughs> but instead just import it from other countries, <laughs> uh, which might be dictators. Uh, but <laughs> so they started to have uh, governmental incentives so it was mm -hmm. supported by the government through a geothermal drilling mitigation fund, super fancy mm -hmm. word, but again, basically the government gave you money to change your energy system at the, at home, to also build the infrastructure for it, because of course it needs a different infrastructure than fossil fuels. And uh, so it became an established legal framework and it made it more attractive to change to these heating systems. And then also later on, they did a similar thing for hydropower so that it was more attractive to build hydropower plants or mm -hmm. wind power plants and stuff so that the country could change. <laughs> That's really nice that the government gave these incentives. Do you know if they like gave them to individuals and big companies and industries or like did they try to target everyone or just one specific actor? I'm not 100% sure, but I was thought holistically. So, for mm -hmm. example, they gave also research funding, um, which were also loans, which provided costs for covering maybe projects which did not end well in the end, mm -hmm. or they, they went wrong and couldn't be used. Um, and then these companies didn't have to pay back, for example, the loan, because it was, yes, so it was a grant, it was a grant, not a loan. Um, that happened, but of course, because you also needed to restructure the houses and mm -hmm. maybe also put a different isolation on because uh, geothermal power is not always as strong. So, for example, with mm -hmm. oil, you can heat your house up to 80 degrees Celsius. That's not always possible with geothermal heat. Yeah, but what I actually didn't know was that Iceland was in the 1970s still quite poor. So it was mm -hmm. actually classified as a developing country by the UN wow, back okay. in the days. So what's super positive or nice to see here that you don't need to be a rich country to transit your energy or heating system. Um, and I mean, nowadays they have so much like of these geothermal power that they even heat the sideways <laughs> in the cities. Um, wow. Like, of course, not so that you keep warm feet, but like if it's snowing, that the snow melts away. Um, 
and stuff like that. So they really connected the systems and used the natural resources they had um, to make their country more sustainable or the heating and energy system. And I feel like it also like in a lot of um, countries, also in a lot of like countries of the global north and in Europe, there's always this argument. It's so expensive to transition to like greener energy. We can't afford it right now. It's not possible. But then this example shows that even a country that is not as rich, they can manage. And if they put in the right investments, maybe it's like it uh, pays out in the end. Yeah. So that's really cool to see. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, of course, it costs money. Mm. They had to build a new infrastructure yeah. and everything. But I mean, look what we are doing now. <laughs> it also costs us money. And if it's yeah. in the end to mitigate climate change because we didn't do it earlier. So it's, I guess, going back to that question. Yeah, and like it's long, like a long term thought, because of course it will cost in the beginning because you have to rebuild a lot of things or like change the infrastructure. But it really pays out. And yeah. It would be nice if other countries could see that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And not discuss uh, if they, they should turn on like the nuclear power plants again. Like, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> other discussion, <Yep. laughs> other discussion. <laughs> Heated discussion, especially. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> in Iceland, we wouldn't have any problems with the heating because they are powered by renewable energies. <laughs> Yes. Also, I found um, an article of the UN questioning if this is something which could also be adopted in other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like I said, it's geothermal and hydropower is not cannot be generated everywhere mm-hmm. in the world. Um, but they looked at it and they were like, let's not make geothermal or hydropower other transition, but using local resources and local mm-hmm. conditions for a transition. Uh, And that this will determine which renewable resources are the most efficient and how they will be best exploited. So, for example, if you have a lot of sun, then go into solar panels. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have, for example, like Denmark, a lot of coastline, use wind power, but always Mm -hmm. look into the local conditions and, yeah, look what's most efficient for your country. But then also... There was a huge cohesion and collaboration between municipalities, governments and the public in really early stages on hmm. of of the development. Um, so in Iceland, this dialogue fostered trust and a solution-based mindset in overcoming the barriers maybe of, I don't have the money to change my heating system or, hmm. but I need oil because it's whatever. Um, so there was a discussion surrounding it. Um, and then also they were showcasing every step of success. Mm-hmm. And that also helped the public to feel like participating in the transition and that they understood why they wanted it and how they wanted it. So, for example, we could take a German example now again, <laughs> but if you don't want to have a windmill next to your house because it looks ugly, then it would be like a discussion why this might be helpful to have in your neighborhood because mm. it helps you to transit and you want to be part of this transition or something. So there was always a lot of that going on, a lot before and after pictures uh, shown. Look how this area looked before. Now with the district heating, it's like mm. much nicer. We also renovated maybe the neighborhood and stuff and the air is cleaner mm. as a result of not burning so much oil. Uh, and all of that was in there but then also really long-term planning for renewable energy implementations 
yeah, it was shown that it's an industrial development. It is important to plan for the long term and not until global politics change. <laughs> yeah, but also not until the government changes again. But like mm. we, it was something supported by um, the majority of the country. Mm. And I think that's something every country can learn from. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like, honestly, I didn't know that Iceland has this strong uh, development in renewable energy and so on and like sustainable heating. Yeah, I think it's really important to form some kind of identity yeah. around green transitions and like take the population with you and don't make it a top down process, meaning from the government to the people, but maybe also from the people to the government. And I think that's what you look more into, right? Yeah, yeah, actually, like, both of my examples, they are, like, top-down and from, like, coming from the population and also everybody was involved and there was, like, a strong identity behind being a green community and achieving this together. Um, yeah, so for the first example I looked at is Bornholm, which we already mentioned in, I think, in our first episode. I think, Teresa, yeah. you mentioned it as, like, already a positive example. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a Danish island in the um, Baltic Sea. Uh, yeah, it's quite small, but it's like similar to Iceland. It's in the sea, so there's like lots of shores. There's lots of uh, water around, so they have a good uh, position already for renewable energy. Uh, and Bornholm right now relies on 100% renewable energy as well, um, and their own production on Bornholm is 100% uh, renewable and then they still need some extra energy to really uh, supply energy for the whole island and they get that from mm -hmm. Sweden but their goal is to be 100% renewable and to produce all of the energy on the island itself. How do they produce the energy? Which sources? Mostly they have uh, the wind turbines or like um, wind offshore wind parks i think they're called so yeah. like around the islands there's like quite big offshore wind parks that supply the energy um also recently uh, in 2020 denmark as a whole country uh, signed an agreement that there should be like an even bigger uh, offshore wind park in front of bornholm and bornholm would become then the the center to distribute this green and renewable energy into the whole of denmark uh yeah but that's like what's going on now and maybe i will just give a quick recap on what happened in bornholm and how yeah how they became this sustainable and uh, in contrast to iceland where it was more uh, mainly uh, top down process and the government started it the whole the whole country was involved and then it went down to the municipalities and everyone worked together on bornholm it was the municipality that started it and the community on bornholm itself and not the danish government uh, so they by themselves in 2008 decided that they want to become more sustainable um, and they put up uh, eight de sustainable development goals that were also like um they came from the 17 sustainable development goals of the United Nations and Bornholm kind of took them and made them their own. So they have the eight, their own eight goals um, and they are very comprehensive as well. And they focus on the green development and like sustainable development as a whole, like and a holistic approach. So they have, mm -hmm. um, they have business in their goals to make sustainability a good business 
and to make businesses sustainable. Um, they want fact-based sustainability, so also document and keep track of the transition, maybe similar to Iceland, like look what were our goals, what have we achieved and compare to how it was before and how it is now. Um, they want carbon neutrality. Uh, already in 2025, they want to be like to have 100% CO2 neutral energy production. And I would say they're on a really, really good way. I don't know if they're going to manage in 2025, but um, not much later than that, I would say, because already 60% of their energy production is on the island and it's renewable. And then the rest, if they're going to build this big offshore wind park, I think it's feasible, actually. Um, then they also focus on waste and they want um, all waste on Bornholm to be treated as resources. And like that also means incorporating it into a circular economy and reusing it. Um, and by 2035, they want a zero emission society. So they again, they have really ambitious targets, um, but they're on a good on a good way. It's, it's mainly energy we are talking about, right? It's not heating. Mm. On Bornholm, it's it's just an island in the Baltic Sea, and there's not they're not that close to any warmth in the earth, <laughs> basically. Yeah, actually. no, definitely. Yeah, but they want to f like instead of doing that, they focus more on renewable energy, and that also their heating is then powered through renewable energy, which I think makes a lot of sense as well. Like it's a good solution around it, you know, instead of saying, oh, but this part we can make green. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's of course. Um also loss of energy because um, you need more energy to do that and you need to combine that with for example isolating houses better yeah and so so on make them more resilient but yeah in general definitely if you don't have the possibility of use geothermal heating or have wood pedals or whatever even though they are also not really sustainable anyway any <laughs> other discussion yes <laughs> no, but, yeah but like also they recognize that they they can't just treat it as like they can just be, yeah, we're going to power it by, by electricity now. Nothing else is going to change. But in these eight goals, they also have the point housing. Uh, they even say they want to make sustainable housing part of our cultural identity. Like So they also really try to tie it together, the cultural yeah. identity with the green um, identity. Um, yeah, and also the, the island of Bornholm, like they have a really pretty like internet presence like their website is really green mm. and they really fo like emphasize how much they've done already and how much they, they identify themselves with this um yeah which is also always you know you have to question a bit how how much is true then of what they're presenting but they're really proud of what they oh. achieved and i think that contributes to to the achievement itself because everybody is proud of this and they're the green island and they are an energy island and also now for denmark they're going to be really important with the like as a central point for distributing energy and green energy yeah. Um, there's also discussion that Bornholm could be a green refueling station because there's like a lots of mm. lot of ships that pass Bornholm. There's around sixty thousand per year, uh, and it could be a great opportunity if there was produced enough green energy that this green energy could be then made into green fuels and then used ah. like using that for ships. Um, yeah, that's also still a future goal but it's like a big potential and important for the island i guess that that yeah. they have that this importance is seen and there is a big role for them nationally and so on yeah i i also love really love this example um 
also when I had it in class, but also hearing mm. about it now. And I think it has a little bit the potential to kind of become the the Tolkien for Denmark, and they are, um, mm -hmm. like to always put it out as the role model for the country, but it's actually just an island. Uh, but mm -hmm. it also has the potential to inspire a lot of, especially remote um, islands or mm. regions and countries that they can form, especially if they don't have that much industry or something, that they can, through renewables, also build a cultural identity, but also get um, funding or like mm. to make an area more uh, attractive. Yeah. And also like this shows that Uh, you can start like they start from the municipality oh god this word <laughs> from the like small <laughs> community on the island they started and they said we want to achieve yeah. this and now slowly they're being recognized in the whole country in the whole of europe and it's nice to see that these small examples actually can lead to bigger change and hopefully they don't only inspire like other islands in the same situation but also Denmark as a whole and maybe move yeah. something in Danish policies and uh, yeah so yeah no. <laughs> yeah definitely I mean also I think we discussed it in another episode but Denmark already has quite a lot of uh, wind power sources and so on but it, there's definitely potential and they could definitely use this example because I mean in total also Denmark is just a huge island yeah <laughs> Honestly, it is. And they could also look again at the holistic approach and like that they incorporated so many different aspects into their goals and also so many different actors and that they they didn't leave any industry, any actor, any individual by themselves. But it was also as in Iceland, there were like financial incentives and in general incentives. And I think they really tried to like have everybody on board so that they could do this together and not yeah. focus on one industry and then like made exceptions for this industry for example or something like that but incorporated everyone and helped everyone so yeah that's really good and that's maybe something everyone can adopt and yeah even though there are special cases in Ireland still these aspects yeah. can be adapted elsewhere <laughs> yes Definitely. Yes. And then you had also another example, right? Yes. <laughs> A Finnish <laughs> example. So yeah, lots of good examples and I think nice places to visit, all of them. Like Bornholm, yeah. I would be really interested to go there now as well. And Iceland anyways, because of the volcanoes and the <laughs> Game of Thrones <laughs> feeling. <laughs> and now for and the, the renewable horses. energy. <laughs> and the horses. Maybe for the horses. <laughs> Let's travel to Finland. <laughs> yes, let's travel to Finland. We're gonna travel 100 kilometers north of Helsinki to the town of Lati. Uh, it's the eighth biggest city in Finland. That means it has 120,000 inhabitants. Also, Rosa, please bear with us when pronouncing uh, the lake. So, like, um, Lati is uh, situated right next to a really big lake, and the lake is called Vesijärvi or something along those lines <laughs> um, and uh, Lati is also a bit similar to Iceland in its transition so in the 70s it was still a city really focused on heavy interest industry and the lake was one of the worst polluted lakes in Finland because they had um, wow. like big heavy industry production around the lake and instead of like filtering maybe the wastewater or doing something else with it the wastewater was going into the lake and the rivers um, and yeah. soon enough like the <laughs> lake was really polluted uh, there was lots of algae in the lake and just like it wasn't really that alive anymore 
Um, and then in the late 80s, again, it was more like the community and the town and the municipality that decided that they would want to clean the lake. And like really the restoration of the lake was the starting for the whole green transition in the city and in this area. Because now in 2021, Lati became the green capital of Europe, actually. Uh, so they were, yeah, mm -hmm. they got this award of being really green and sustainable and so on. And it all started with this lake. And then basically from starting to doing restorations on the lake, then the whole city became more and more sustainable and processes were started that, yeah, went then into circular economy and taking care of the environment, looking at renewable energy um, and so on and so on. By now, for example, 79% uh, of the waste in Lati is reused and a lot of the local production and industry that is there now, they're trying to also incorporate circular economy into their production and reusing their waste. They used to have a big coal power plant and that was shut down mm -hmm. in 2019 and they are, they are also now using a bioenergy power plant. But yeah, you had some other points there. I see ice hockey. Yes, <laughs> because I really like that, that like they had a really, they have a really strong local identity to this, to the like the green city as well, because so they started with like communal actions and uh, environmental weeks in the 90s and like everybody did something environmental friendly for a week and then they like it became more and more. And then they had the first carbon neutral orchestra <laughs> in the world. So, okay so that like basically means that everybody in the orchestra they they didn't really travel by car or by bus or so on but by bike and they tried to like be really carbon yeah, neutral yeah. and they're really proud of it so there was this picture on their website with all of them playing and they had on like their bicycle helmets <laughs> on their heads <laughs> and, yeah and i thought it was really cute and they're proud of this and now the ice yeah. hockey team of uh, the town so ice hockey also is really important in finland so i guess this is important an important step <laughs> that the ice hockey team also wants to become the first carbon neutral ice hockey team in the world they're they're not there yet but they have this as a goal and they're proud to talk about it. <laughs> okay, interesting. So similar there, they're like everybody's involved, everybody's really proud of this identity that they have and they want to make it more green. And also um, they're on a very indi individual basis. Um, there's this kind of app for personal carbon, carbon trading. So as far as I understood, it's more you keep... Uh, an overview on how much carbon you produced and so on and you use mm, it as, okay. a, as an, in an app so yeah <laughs> i don't think they're going that far that you can just sell your carbon emissions because that would be <laughs> a bit a step into the wrong direction i would say yeah. <laughs> but it's more just to visualize like the carbon footprint and yeah they were also the first city to try this and um yeah apparently yeah. it works and it like brings everything on a very personal level um, yeah, yeah, it does. Like I remember that uh, my housing company here actually mm -hmm. had a similar project uh, in Augustenburg, and they could see that once you could see how much trash you threw away and stuff, that actually then people lowered their um, trash consumption. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's, nice. it's a really good thing of tracking it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's really it's also a really cool example the city how from being a heavy 
industrial city to becoming this green city and also they really managed to rest restorate the the lake so now the lake is really mm. clean again and like the environment around it is clean and healthy and i think that's really cool and impressive that they managed to do that maybe the finnish seal is coming back at <laughs> one point for a <laughs> small spider for our next episode <laughs> uh <laughs> Now I talked about the individual uh, basis and mm -hmm. that everybody's involved and individually you can make a change. But it's like there's always a big discussion on how much an individual can do and how much the structures have to change. And we see here quite a good comparison maybe between more structural approaches in Iceland, for example. And in Bornholm it's yeah. a mix. And now here in Lati it's also very on an individual basis. So it's interesting to see that both works and it's always interesting to compare. Yeah, definitely. I think maybe that's already going into a conclusion. But um, <laughs> um, I I also think that, and I, I think also, especially in these times, it's it's really good to see that also on an individual level, you can do things. Mm. And uh, especially if communities come together mm -hmm. uh, and you work in a team, I think that's amazing to see um, how even... Because, I mean, the Nordic countries are quite individualists, right? Mm. So there's not a huge community feeling that you can feel always. But, I mean, these examples exist even here, to put it a little bit <laughs> out there. But um, definitely that if you, as soon as you start connecting with people, you can build a community. But then, of course, we should not put everything on the individual because it's also yeah. a structure behind it. And... Um, Yeah, I I also think looking at Iceland, for example, this transition wouldn't have happened with government incentives. But also, I think in Denmark, if Denmark wouldn't have the agenda in general to be more sustainable, then probably mm. would, wouldn't have seen Bornholm or now the same here in Lati. Um, so it's a mix, but we have agency. <laughs> Oh, I think that's a really well, nice note to end. It's a mix, <laughs> but we do have the agency and we do have the power to voice our concerns and to do something and change something. Yeah, then I think the last thing we can say, we hope you enjoyed listening to us too here and that maybe you get a little bit of a positive energy out of this. Hmm. Ha, energy, see what I did here. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Uh, we are really excited to see uh, for you to listen to our next episode. I think that will also be a little bit more on a positive, cute side, right? Isn't yeah. It the... I think yeah. it's the um, seal episode. It's the episode. The... <laughs> I think Rosa's going to be super excited. And then you also listen to correct Finnish pronunciations. But until then, follow us on social media. Um, you will find our show notes on our website. And thank you for listening. Hey, do. Thank you for listening. Hey, do.